Welcome to the Nitty Gritty, where we challenge conventional thinking. Join us as we explore real life, real people, real stories, and how pushing back can make all the difference. Welcome to the Nitty Gritty. We have Vess Pearson with us today. He's the CEO of Aptive. Vess, thanks for coming, man. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I don't want to cut. I don't want to cut you off. But Vess, I, I just I wanted I wanted a little background on the name. It's a different name. Uh, Vessi August Pearson the fourth is the full name. Vessi August. So V E S S I E. Yep. So it was a family name. It was the firstborn son, uh-huh. and so we made it all the way to number four. My wife literally fasted and prayed that we wouldn't have a firstborn son because she was not having a fifth and a. The good Lord heard her cries, and we had a girl, so it is now over. <laughs> so what's the tradition behind I mean, is it just, just, just family? family? Is, yeah, it, so is it traditional from Scandinavian? You know, just family, okay. my dad, grandpa, So do you go by, I only know you as Vest. Do people call you Vessi? People that knew me yeah, as a child call me Vessi, okay. and people that only know me as an adult call me Vess. Okay. I'd call you Vessi August <laughs> if I was your friend. Maybe no. by the end of this, I can call you that. Or VA. That that works. But that's more like veteran affairs. Yeah. So I guess that wouldn't work. But yeah, it's a, it's a different name. So sorry, I was curious. Yep, that's so, it. Vess, I've known you for a handful of years. When did we meet? Playing basketball? Was it through basketball that we met? It's, it's been a couple of years playing playing basketball, yes. Getting our, living our glory days out and old man basketball in the morning. Exactly. So, um You've got a fun story, though. I know you don't think it's super entertaining, but I know we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, well, let's just jump right into it. Aptive, pest control company, let's talk about how you got to where you're at today. So cool. you started just knocking doors, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. 2000, so, 2006. 2006. So you're from California. Yep. How did you first find out about it? So my, my little brother, he moved to uh, Provo. He was 17 at the time. And he met one of these door knocking guys. And I still remember it. He grabbed my laptop and he started looking at BMWs after one meeting. <laughs> Your brother did? Yeah. And he said, I'm going to go sell <laughs> pest control. Sounds... And I said, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you at that time? I was uh, 22. Okay. Yep. I was 22. And so he went off uh, to start selling and I stayed back at BYU. I was taking math 119 in the spring. And I called him every day, like, hey, Drew, how, how's it going? He's like, oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. I did this. I did that. I'm thinking kind of, you know, beginner's luck. You know, you just got a lot of energy. You're making some sales. It's not going to last. So about a weekend, I call him, and he's pissed, super angry. And I'm just thinking, yeah, I, I told you, man. And I'm like, what's <laughs> up? I'm like, what, what are you mad about? He's like, yeah, I only got, I only sold two today. And I said, okay, well, how much did you make? He's like, oh, I, I probably made $260. And I'm like, wait, um, I'm working in the ASB building at BYU. <laughs> <laughs> I made $64 today in eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> and so at that point, I was like, I better go try this because this is actually working for him. So I dropped out of my class, went, you know, went to went home. We, we got to sell out of our hometown in Corona and um, sold did really well. And one thing kind of led to another. So, I mean, you just joined through the summer. Yep. Yep. I just joined. So about the beginning of June. So then I worked June, July, August, the next year I did well. So the next year I came and I led a team and did well. Then I, you know, had a few teams. Who was the company? It's called Moxie. Oh, it was with Moxie. Yep. Okay. Yep. Was, and that was Dave. That was Dave. Right. Yep. My now business partner. So he founded Moxie and we did that for, you know, three years. And then he said, you know what? I want to go and expand into maybe some locations where Moxie already is. So um, he sold his portions of Moxie and we did EcoFirst, built that for three years. And then we did Altera, did that for four years. So we, so you had sold, Mm -hmm. managed the next year. Yep. And then ran multiple teams the next year, the following year. Yep. And then Dave's like, "All right, you and I are going to go partner." So Eco First, I wasn't a partner okay. at that point. Um, I was kind of like our president of sales, okay. just building teams, growing us. Um, so yeah, we did that for three years. Then Altera, uh, 
you know, we, we, we were, we became partners and built that for four years and sold it in 2015. And now we're, you know, three years in adaptive. So who are you selling to? So we sold to uh, Terminix every time, every time that uh, we sold, we kind of build up a customer base and then it's called an asset purchase. They would take on the customers. And the amazing thing is we got to keep the infrastructure. So all of the people, the buildings, the locations. So even though we sold that we were starting over, we were only starting over from a customer count standpoint. So every new company, we really are just, you know, picking up where we left off. Yeah. Interesting. So you're just yeah. selling the contracts, but your infrastructure stays in place. Everything else. There's no the non-compete. There's no like you can't start something else. We can't switch over Terminex customers for five years. Okay. But that's, you know, not a big deal sure. to us. So everything wow. else Very we just cool. go do the same. It's funny. Cam and I both actually have door-to-door experience. I was in the for about five years. I was never good at it. That's why I'm not in it anymore. <laughs> it must have been all right if you lasted five years. Well, it was one of those things every year. It's like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. And then the next year it'd roll around and it was, well, what else are you going to do? Exactly. You know? And funny enough, the summer I got engaged, I actually went down to Temecula and sold for Dave at Moxie. Really? So my manager, yeah. if you remember the name Joey Toon. Oh, I know Joey well. Mike Fleming. Mike Fleming's a good friend of mine. So I was good buddies with those guys. Yeah. Joey was engaged and getting married that summer. I was getting married later in the summer. And Joey was like, hey, come hang out in California for a couple of months. I'm going to leave early to get married. You can just take off when I leave. Yep. And you can hang out in Southern California. So You're I actually. Like done. Yeah. So I went out and sold Moxie for a couple of months. I mean, I went and worked with Dave. Was that in 2005? Um, seven. 2007. Oh, so that, I was there. Yeah. So it was we 2000. crossed paths and we didn't know. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, kind of funny. And then you were there for what, nine years? Not yeah. Moxie, but you did Alarms. Yeah, Pinnacle. I did Pinnacle for about nine years. Mostly Chicago. I did Temecula one summer. Yeah. Washington, but. Cool. So I, I never wanted leadership roles. I was a manager, but I was just, I was the guy that's like, okay, I'm going to sell two and I'll be at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and so I look back now and kind of regret it because I was pretty good at it. I could sell pretty well, but I have to have something to incentivize me to do that. So, so yeah, but it's, it's a tough, it's a tough game, but it's a, it, I still draw from the door to door experience. You know, people sometimes it gets a bad rap around, around here just because everyone does it. But I, I still speak very highly of the door-to-door -door game. I think it's, it's, it's an amazing it, – it was an amazing opportunity for me. So I feel like everyone should at least try it because sure. you're either good at it and it can open doors that you would never find otherwise or you're not good at it and you learn stuff about yourself and about life and you want to do something else. But is it kind of weird or was there ever challenges becoming partners with Dave when, I mean, you were his employee and now are partners. I mean, was there ever any stress or tension along the way with that where maybe he didn't treat you like a partner sometimes in the beginning because he maybe still looked at you as an employee? That would be a tough dynamic to overcome. Yeah, it would. It would be really hard. Yeah. You know, be, because there's been – it's been over a long period of time and there's been an evolution with, you know, with every addition or every new company, my role – has expanded right. so it, it hasn't been zero to a hundred so over time i've been able to gain more and more of his trust yeah to where uh when we did aptive i i had his full trust and so with every good partnership uh there is professional tension and there's some you know uh, conversations and a little bit of going back and forth but the beauty behind my partnership with dave is it's never personal it's right. never unprofessional. It's never mean spirited. It's always productive. And because we're able to have that type of dialogue, we can always end up in a, a place we're both comfortable with and a place that's, you know, right for the company. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Cause that, I do think that would be kind of hard to do sometimes. Another thing is I have a lot of friends that are either in the industry or have been in the industry. And I don't think many of them could run the size of organization that you're running. So it's not like this 
common thread to start on the doors and work your way into ownership. Most of the guys that are really successful on the doors are really good on the doors, but man, they are scatterbrained, not very organized, you know? What are you talking about? I'm talking about you. Jeez. <laughs> We're like the perfect employee <laughs> yeah. for summer sales. They're like, they don't want anything. They just want to go out and do their job, make us money. But it's not normal for them to grow into this. So what about either your past or what you've gone through has kind of prepared you or allowed you to take on the opportunity of being a partner? I would say consistency. I, I think from a, a young age, I've been pretty conscientious. I'm kind of the, my, my wife, she laughs at me because she talks to my mom and I was like the tattletale. You know, kid, <laughs> always the one trying to There's follow the always rules. one of them. Yeah. I, I'm the, I'm the guy that like loves rules that loves structure. And, um, when you can couple that with some, some sales skills, I think it was a nice mix for me to, you know, continue to, to grow our sales organization and, and put enough structure, enough controls around it so that we could scale it to where, you know, now we have over 2000 reps. We'll put on 270,000 accounts this year. And wow. so that, that consistency and conscientiousness, uh, helped a lot at an early age. I made some, uh, a pretty outrageous financial goal by the time I was 30 years old. I grew up in a great home, very, uh, middle-class. We had everything that we needed, but my dad is such that he just stresses like all the time. I mean, he's in the roofing industry, and when there's no rain, he's stressed because no one wants a new roof. And when there is rain, he's stressed because he can't get the work done because right. it's raining. I'm like, when are you happy? <laughs> when are you going to take a breath? And, and that's just, you know, how he is. And it was always kind of centered around financial stress. And so at age 10 or 11, um, I set this goal. You recognize that at age 10 or 11. Yeah. That was going to be my question. Like when you say early age, what is an early age? 10, 10 or 11. I, I just, I'm I said. I'm a bad parent. <laughs> my kids are, they're, they're <laughs> off. I have an 11 year old. She just tries to talk to me into wearing makeup every day. She's not thinking about anything else. <laughs> it's impressive. It, well, it's, it's, it's bizarre, but it, it is true. And um, as a result of that goal, like. I kind of was zeroed in on it and I quickly found figured out that this job in this industry could get me could get me there and as a result of that it kind of shaped the decisions I made and you know I was able to do it so, so did you not go through the typical cycle of earn to your brother's point I mean he was already buying that BMW <laughs> before he'd even sold an account exactly. leasing it leasing it yeah, right. Right. <laughs> yeah they're not gonna buy it <laughs> I mean, did you experience that or were you able to kind of tune out the noise because of this 11-year-old self that I, set the goal? Yeah, no, I, I definitely could tune out the noise. Some of that was I was studying accounting at BYU too, and so I was pretty uh, fiscally responsible, and um, I was just really focused on that, so I didn't need to spend. In fact, I remember early on when I had actually made – some pretty good money. One of my regional sales managers, uh, Paul Swenson, I happened to be driving my wife's car. We were uh, only married like two years, and it was this old, beat-up red Saturn uh, that worked, but that ran just fine. I had, a, I had an old, beat-up red Saturn. I called it Saturn Racing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes. Well, this this Saturn's name was Sally. So. <laughs> So he, he comes walking up to Sally and he kind of gives it like he looks it up and down and he leans in. I still remember he's on the passenger side, puts his head through the window and he goes, hey, Vess, you can do a little bit better than this for Angie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the funny thing is, in my mind, like I had never even considered that. Yeah. Like I'm like, no, this is great. This, you know, this works fine. Shortly thereafter, though, I. I took his advice and, you know, did a little bit better for Angie. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So at what, so did you notice early on when you were selling, because, you know, I think back to my nine years and the most I ever really aspired to was managing, you know, just to start making some overrides. But at what point when you were selling, did you kind of see like, hey, 
we are mostly all kind of sales robots in that game. Like we just want to sell, get our back end, make some money. But did you notice I can go further and and really get up up there and kind of take advantage of how I am as far as like being an accountant and being goal oriented and being structured and how early was it into your career where well, that was, I could take over a little bit? That's the brilliance of my partner, Dave, is he was visionary early. After my second year, I was planning on going to law school and he said, oh, no, stick with me. We can really, you know, we can build something. And I remember our first goal, the first thing he put out in front of me was if we can get to this size, we can get our own building with a basketball court. I'm like, oh, right. that'd be sweet. You know, um, let's let's do that. And then it was, hey, no company's ever put on more than 42,000 accounts in a summer for pest control. I'm like, oh, all right, let's do that. So we did that. And then it was, hey, you know what? Like, how cool would it be if we got to 100,000 accounts? I think, yeah, let's do that. So we go and execute. And then the next thing was, well, what if we got to 100 million in revenue? Like, hmm, yeah, let's do that. So we go and execute. So he was always giving me a carrot to right. chase every three years, which frankly, like I'm not naturally uh, super visionary. I, I can execute. I'm disciplined. Uh, he was much more visionary. He's kind of taught me to be visionary and to, you know, elevate what I, you know, thought was possible. But that's that's kind of how, you know, you go from a one branch moxie to a 39 branch uh, aptive. It's just that he kept on giving me carrots to right. chase every every about three years or so. So at what point did he kind of pull you out? I mean, obviously he saw something in you. How many, uh, maybe there were a lot of reps, maybe there weren't, but I mean, at what point did he kind of start maybe grooming you? You know, it, it was af- it was actually after my second summer uh, where he said, hey, like, I, I think you should skip law school and I want you to. That's a big ask. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big ask. After doing it for two years? Yep. I mean, I would have said, yeah, sure, that's fine. <laughs> I would have said that after seventh grade, but. <laughs> so he 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 said after two years why don't you uh why don't you stick with me and, and at that point i had i'd been successful i'm like well like i'm making great money there's a a clear vision here and just kind of went you with it and think, ran yeah you must think pretty highly of him i mean that that you must have a lot of faith in him that's because you obviously are a very intelligent person and a very goal-oriented person so to have somebody to ask you to like get off your path yeah. I mean, that's a big, that's a big deal. Was it hard? It wasn't, it wasn't hard because I believed like in him so much where I, I looked at everything that Dave touched seemed to work. And right. so I felt safety, you know, sticking with Dave and working with Dave. So that made it much easier. Did he give you any kind of safety net? Like, Hey, if this doesn't work. I still got your back or anything like that. No, no. And I, I just think that it not working didn't, really crossed my mind yeah. because we had already made it work for many years. So why wouldn't it continue to work moving forward? You already learned the cool. success, like the, the recipe of it, right? Right. Exactly. Well, it sounds like you guys make a great team because, you know, I don't think any great company works with just one person. Like you said, the visionary thing, I can, I, I have great ideas, but if I can't go golfing, I'm not going to execute those ideas. So <laughs> it's, it is really cool. I mean, Obviously, you're you are a very smart person, but it sounds like you, when you when you know you want to do something, you do it. And like you said, visionary execute, you know, uh, executor is the wrong word. Implementer, implementer. Right. Yeah. And that the book traction, the, the two done. people. Exactly. So it's just yeah. I mean, it's it, it's obviously it, it's kind of a match made in heaven. It sounds like it's gone really well. Okay. I know the industry well enough to know that it's not an easy road to get there. I want to hear some of the kind of the behind the scenes story. So as you were going through this, I can't imagine there wasn't a time when another company didn't come and try to offer you a whole bunch of money <laughs> to go somewhere else or and do something else, you know? Yeah. I mean, er- early on I was offered uh, over seven digits to mm-hmm. leave. I actually didn't even respond to the offer because I had decided I was going uh, to do this and so when you and obviously that wasn't because of money i mean you were driving the saturn way longer than you should have exactly so that was because of vision and, and trust and belief and it's not like i'm super loaded i don't need the money this was it before was, i had made 
oh, you know, okay. a good amount of money even. You know, I, I'd done well, but I hadn't like sold a company well. Um, but I knew what I wanted and it wasn't just to go and make a quick, you know, buck, but to really build something. That's impressive. So when was the time or has there been a time, I guess, when you almost didn't get through it? I mean, there's got to be a couple of times throughout this journey where it was like, ugh. Throw the clipboard in the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. F this. I'm going to go to CVS and I'm going to sit in an air-conditioned room for a little while. But for you, as you're growing the company, whether it's, I mean, I know how cutthroat the recruiting game is. Yeah. And your industry is built off of kind of building teams and leadership and kind of, I don't know if grooming is the right word, but training guys in the culture and how you do things. Retaining them. You know, and I, I've watched guys leave companies and I've watched what it's done to the company they left and I've watched it work or not work out. I mean, has, was there a point where, I don't know if someone is either recruiting hard, you lost a top, one of your top leaders or something like that. So back in late 2014, we, uh, we got in a little bit of a, well, a, a large recruiting battle with a pretty big company that has much deeper pockets you know, than, than what we had. And, uh, they went at us hard. Uh, at the same time, my little boy Hayes was in the hospital, very, very sick in the PICU at, at primary children's. And, um, this company was literally trying to put us out of a business. You know, they, they made that, they made that known. So I was doing meetings in the middle of the night, literally three or four in the morning, because I understood like urgency, you know, really mattered. It's like, let's just figure this out right now. You just got out of this meeting with this other company. Come over right now. I was at the hospital during the day, so that wasn't really an option. And so the funny thing is, despite all of that, we lost two reps and retained everybody else. And I think that our people just felt kind of my intensity and like, it's like, hey, I'll fight. Like, I'm not, I won't give in. And we were able to get through it. As a result, we haven't lost any meaningful leader in my history. Me and we've lost some managers, never lost a regional manager though, or anyone like that. Now, when you say your son was sick, he wasn't just like, I'm going to cough sick. <laughs> he yeah. was sick. He was sick. So he, uh, when he was one, he swallowed callus remover. Oh my gosh. The, uh, you know, the stuff right. that removes these things. Oh. And you can imagine what that did to his esophagus, basically turned it into a rope. And, uh, so he would drink a bottle and it would puddle like liquid couldn't get down. It's, you can kind of fix it though. What they do is they put a balloon down your esophagus, pump it up and try to expand it. And he's had that done now, I don't know, 70 or 80 times, but maybe the fourth or fifth time, uh, the surgeon goes down and it's a blind surgery. They pricked his stomach and, um, so, you know, we take him home and my wife calls me. She's like, something's wrong with Hayes. He's banging his head against his bed in so much pain. You know, he's, I think, 14 months. And I'm like, all right, well, take him to primaries. I'll meet you up there. So they, they can't figure out what's wrong. They can't figure out what's wrong. Um, he's turning uh, like purple <laughs> as the day goes on. And at one point, uh, they come in and they give him a shot. And he's, you know, just a little over one. You know how kids normally react to a shot? Right. No reaction. I'm like, he's really sick. Uh, and so they finally come in. They say, you know what? We got we to gotta take him. We're going to cut him open in the chest. We're going to see what's going on. If we don't find anything, we're going to break his ribs. <sighs> and we're going to search his stomach. And uh, I'm, at that point, I'm still like, okay, he's really sick. But I didn't like, the, I haven't, hadn't really put together like, no, he's really sick. And I'm with his surgeon and the anesthesiologist, and they take Hayes away, and they, the anesthesiologist, anesthesiologist says, like, you're in a life-and-death situation right now. Like, we don't know if he'll make it. And then they took him for five hours. And, oh, my gosh. And we were just in the waiting room, and uh, I would just paced back and forth for, for five hours. Uh, and... Well, you know, what had happened is because they punctured his esophagus when he drank a bottle, that created a septic 
situation in his body. And so, um, you know, after about a week in the PICU and a couple more weeks in the hospital, he was, we were slowly able to stabilize him. And, you know, five or six years later, uh, you know, he's, he's healthy, plays soccer and basketball and he's, he's a great boy. But while that was going on, I was in this huge, you know, battle with this other company. And, uh, I feel like it just, it taught me like you can prevail despite the circumstances. It might be hard, but pretty much anything's possible if you want it. So unbelievable. How did you keep people? I mean, how in the how world? Did you work? Yeah, like how are you doing that? I mean, like take a phone call. Like I want more money fast. <laughs> it sucks. I'm like, no, let me tell you what sucks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, like, my life is hard. No, your life's sheesh. not hard. But you can't let them know. You know, it's not like you can tell everybody. Like, I mean, well, that's that's nuts. For for me, it's it's about helping people understand that I I don't want them to work for me and be a martyr. We just got to figure it out. So what's missing? What do you need? What do we need to fix? And let's just fix it. There's always a solution. Almost always. There's very rarely not a solution. So as I'd have these conversations, like, well, why are you thinking about going? All right, well, let's just fix that here. We can, yeah, I can work with that. And, you know, just kind of one by one. And there's obviously I have an advantage because I've already got a relationship. Right. They like me. You know, this is a new company. They weren't a new company. These are new people. New relationships. New relationships. So the combo of already having a relationship and and them understanding, yeah, Vess is workable. Let's just figure it out. How often was it just around money? I mean, I would just. It's I would, always around money in our yeah, industry. Always about money. <laughs> I mean, allegedly, you can always make more money somewhere else, right? <laughs> I, I yep. guess what I mean is not around money. I think. The, uh, the deciding factor for why they stayed, I would guess, is goes beyond money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's trust. There's believing in our vision. Obviously, they, you know, money's a factor yeah. wherever you work. So a whole bunch of things. The biggest thing probably being the relationship, Yeah. though. So how do you, how do you cultivate these genuine relationships when too many people I know or that I see, they just kind of see their reps or managers as like walking dollar signs. Right. It's like go out and replace you, bring some new ones coming in. I mean, how do you, it's not an industry that that breeds trust. No, (laughs) there's not a lot of people that trust each other in there. And so how do you do that? That's, I mean, that's a great question for, for me. I think that our people know that like I, I'm not using them, right. That we're a team and that I have a platform that they can use and that I can, you know, work with them to go and build something greater. Uh, over the years, I, I feel like I've been good at uh, listening, not being reactionary. And so our industry is, is known for like hard closes and aggressiveness and let's do this right now and all those things. And that's just not, not me. I try to listen and really understand what they need what they're looking for. And I'm not perfect at it. On top of that, we've had tremendous success. It's easy to retain your people when you're doing really, really well. And, and it's scary to leave, (laughs) right? If you're already in a good situation, if you're not having tremendous success, well, your relationship will only take you so far. So you've got to, you've got to have some success and establish a relationship to really retain people. And we've been able to do that. Well, and I think, you know, one thing that kind of stands up to me, stands out to me, I've never met you before. I think everybody that's listening has friends or acquaintances in the summer sales game. And the first thing that really jumps out to me about you is you are very, you're really the exact opposite <laughs> of what you would expect someone in your position to be. You know, you're unassuming, you're humble, you're obviously very bright, but you don't have that you know, let's sit down and look at the BMW <laughs> sure. type of way about you. And so many people, even in the highest, you know, levels of some of these big companies, they just have like a douchiness about them. You sure. know what I mean? For lack of a better word. You don't have to edit that. You can leave <laughs> that in there. Yeah. And, you know, you can tell that, you know, I'm sure you were raised right. You've got values. But, I, you know, 
from what I've seen of you so far, it would be hard to leave somebody like you if you were my leader, just based solely on really how you carry yourself. And I think that that plays a big part in, you know, the money, the success is big too, but, you know, there are leaders that create a certain kind of sense of security just naturally. And, you know, not everyone that listens to this is going to watch the YouTube, but, you know, I didn't know what to expect when he came in here. And so I think that that's, you know, that's a big thumbs up to you. That's uh, that's a big deal. So you can thank your think partially your stressful dad, right? Exactly. No, you're stressed I, out dad. That had that had to play a part in it. I appreciate that, and, and we certainly try to, um, you know, have strength and humility, right? You you can be a powerful, productive person Absolutely. that's humble as well. Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny, Camden. He was like, because I just told him, hey, Vess is going to come on today, and he's like. He's in pest control. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I, looked at, I typed your name in last time. I'm like, wait, pet? I saw, I saw Aptive Environmental. I'm like, wait, what is that? And I clicked. I'm like, pest control? <laughs> and you think I'd be like, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time in the summer sales game. Yeah. And I've got so many close friends. And there are so many amazing people in the industry. But of course, I mean, I'm just as guilty as everybody else. It's sure. like, oh, here we go. I get it. And so I get it, it, and it and is a total breath of fresh air. Well, thank you. Vess, what's your favorite advice that you didn't listen to? I have a few. Um, people talk a lot about work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like they get it wrong uh, a lot of the time. For example... If you are trying to be a doctor and you're in medical school, you can't have work-life balance. You better be working <laughs> right. a lot. Mm -hmm. um, if you're trying to build a business like I've been trying to build for you know, 13, 14 years now, there are things that you put on the altar if you want to achieve what you're really uh, going for. Now, there are certain things in your life that have to take priority, and we all know what those things are uh, for our ourselves i believe more though in a work life balance lifetime <laughs> okay i'm gonna pause you what are those things for you so you know you got to be there for i mean bedtime for harper me okay. putting her to bed like y you have to do that like she loves that like that bedtime you know routine like it just has to happen you can't consistently miss that i won't miss a hayes soccer game i won't miss a hayes basketball game i won't miss a harper dance recital i think um, it's important that you say that i think we look at i think a lot of people look at work-life balances i gotta have my free time we never talk about soccer games uh -huh. putting kids to bed like in, in a sense that is a balance like being we all need to kind of sit back and say man if i get to put my kids to bed every night like that's the same as going golfing or going on vacation like that's something to be really grateful for and and, and i will say I have to, I'm one of those people that has to have fun time though. Oh, like I, sure. like I, I exercise every day. I golf consistently. Wait, you said fun time. Play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you watched Vest exercise, you know why it would be fun. Oh, okay. He spends like most of the time just talking. talking. No, he just wheels. talks. It's he more just talks. Okay. Most people try to raise their heart rate. I try to keep mine as low as possible. Right. It's more meditative. Yeah, exactly. Smart. But no, like you need to have a balanced lifetime. There, there's a, there's a season for everything and generally early in life early in your career you're going to be more focused on work yep. and you're just not going to be as home as much but you might transition later to where that scale kind of changes and you're home more and work kind of you know takes a back yeah. back seat i love that you brought that up it's something that i think about it's something i strive for and the word i replace balance with is harmony yep work-life harmony exactly because with the balance in my head at least I think of a scale and it's like, if you're doing this here to balance it out, you better be doing that same amount on the other side. So to your point about working or family time or having fun, it's never going to be the same amount of hours per se, but you can find that harmony depending where you're at and what stage of life that works to where you know, what's important to you, bedtime, you know, what kids games or what, whatever that is to you. And you make that a priority. Exactly. It doesn't have to necessarily mean I'm going to be home for eight hours today because I worked for eight hours. Right. But I, I have this and I find this harmony. 
And as you get older and as work changes or as you sell a business, that's always going to change, but you have to continually kind of find that harmony. Absolutely. Another, another thing that always kind of makes me cringe when I hear it is work smarter, not harder. Yeah. I want to change that to work smarter and harder <laughs> because a lot of times when I hear people say work smarter, not harder, I look at the people that say it and they're just lazy and it's, <laughs> <laughs> but I use that to not knock doors at my mission. <laughs> Jeez. It's, it's just, best. it's just an excuse. Now that doesn't mean don't try to do things as efficiently and with as much intelligence as you possibly can, but think about how powerful you can be if you just do both. Right. Yeah. You work smart and hard. And and I, I just believe that God put us on work on earth to like work and to work hard because you think about your life, whenever you really put in a long day, you generally feel really good at the end of it. And there's just a euphoria that comes and too many people miss out on that because they don't push you know, enough in me, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes, I mean, I don't want to be a total contrarian because you're a total success, but I think sometimes we also feel, well, I look at the door knock. We'll, we'll bring up door knocking. Kay. I hate to go too far. We're in Utah. Yeah. So we always bring up Utah subjects, but knocking doors on it. Well, let's just say knocking doors. It's a numbers game. Let's say knocking doors in your industry. Yep. You know, there are a lot of guys that they don't really focus on the door. They focus on the numbers. Right. Yep. And it's and it's just a numbers game, and so, but I also feel like there's a certain point. At least this is how it works for me. Where, you know, I grew up. My dad's a really hard worker, and so there are times where I'm like, if I don't have to work that hard that day, I would feel guilty about it. Like I'm I'm lazy. And you know, I read a really interesting book by Jen Sincero. It's called uh, Oh Dang It. What's it called? I'll have to look it up. But it talks more about making sure that you do give yourself time off and not feeling guilty about it and it is an interesting balance because you know you do want that euphoria from working hard but you also don't want to kick yourself for not working hard sometimes too and i i actually you're not being contrarian i i agree with you wholeheartedly because if you know yourself you know that in order to work hard uh, the smart part of that is you need to break that day right Right. You know, and so you're, you're, I don't, I don't disagree with that. It's about knowing what you need in order to maximize what you're trying to do. And I'm, I'm the same thing. I have to have fun time and I carve it out and I schedule it out. And if you really look at how many hours there are in a week, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, let's take one day, say you sleep eight of those hours. Okay. You're down to 16. Then you, then you work another eight of those hours. You're down to eight. You have eight discretionary hours right. to do stuff. Like there's it's enough a lot of time. time to do everything. It's a lot of time. Yeah, it's so. a very interesting way to look at it. That would make me feel even lazier though if I did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because to your point, I mean, everyone just kind of finds their path. But I also think that working harder isn't just doing what everyone tells you to do right? You have to, you have to be willing to push back a little bit. You have to be willing to do it, be willing to do it a different way. Yep. You know, I mean, you guys have built Aptive, not the, it's not the traditional business. Your scale and your growth is by no means normal for the business world. Right. right? And so you've got to be willing to do that, but it requires the work to go into it. Um, Let's talk about some of the fun stuff, though. Cool. You've done some really cool stuff. I know Cam specifically had something he wanted to ask you about. Well, I just saw the list. Yeah. From my very prepared co-host, <laughs> Andrew Van Buren. See, we're yin and yang, too. We're like you and Dave, right? Yep, yep. I just kind of show up, but he does all the He's the natural hard. talent. He's got to put in a little nat- more time. Hey, see? That's a big compliment. Right there. Natural talent. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just reading through this list that he provided, and I saw story about golfing with tiger woods and i uh, of course the 20 other questions just went blurry for me so <laughs> i mean you see my sports illustrated just sitting I, right i've here been staring at it the whole time i was there on sunday when it happened that's amazing it was i considered it oh my gosh amazing so anyways i would love to hear i'd love to hear the story behind that so uh yeah this february this last february i, I played in the wednesday pro-am at the hyundai oh, genesis open wow uh pacific or in pacific palisades at riviera country club with Tiger, 18 holes, 
me, Tiger, a South Korean billionaire car guy, and then another guy that won a poker tournament at Tiger's Tiger Jam right. <laughs> charity event. Right. Wow. Yeah, and so it was the uh, four of us, and it was it was incredible. How did, um, how did you get to do say, that? How did that come about? So that's actually that was actually a gift uh, from Dave. He was at a charity event, and. Uh, for the price of some people's house, you can play golf with Tiger Woods. <laughs> right. It was a tax deduction, okay? <laughs> I know. I can't wait to learn about these tax deductions when yeah. I hire a, a wealth person. Uh, sorry. It's Andrew's a little inside. Well, you would think, right? He doesn't got you. It's a little inside joke on every podcast that I'm still waiting in line at Aventus Wealth. <laughs> so I'm, I'm still waiting. But anyways, yeah. So... Um, it was crazy. I mean, number one to play in front of tiger, but then to play in front of a gallery because tiger's practice rounds are full gallery. There's no tigers never just on a course, just hitting. And so I, I get up onto the, I had had an awesome practice session on the range, hit it really well. Of course I get up to number one and (laughs) like, so best you're a good golfer. I was just going to ask that. I mean, I'm not being rude. You're not scratch. No, no, I'm. You I'm know what I mean? Golfer, like yeah. you're a good golfer, but it's not like you don't hit the occasional off the hosel. I'm gonna freaking exactly. shank this We've right played. into somebody's you... face. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, number one, I get up, and obviously there's a few hundred people. There's Tiger. I hit that a duck. would be that would be terrifying. I'd be so scared of hitting somebody. Yep, Duck Cook left about 175. <laughs> kept it in play. <laughs> And I just thought, oh, my god! I think that's a win. You found your ball. Exactly. If I, it's in play, that's a win. I had my ball. But then something crazy happened. Like, somehow, someway, I probably had one of the top three golf days of my life. Um, from that point forward, I, I think it was like the gallery in Tiger. It, like, gave this extra focus. There was one hole where uh, Jared Goff, the quarterback, quarterback yeah. for the um, Rams. Rams just played in the Super Bowl two weeks before I chip didn't in. deserve it but go ahead yeah <laughs> I, I know Saint, I feel like you know I see some Saint stuff around here but uh I chip in from 35 yards whoa and Jared Goff comes running up to me because he's he's following our group he's inside the ropes double high five I'm getting a fist pump from Tiger <laughs> oh my god then the next hole I'm in the left side of the, I'm in the rough on the left side. There's this big tree. And once again, it's tiger. So there's a gallery. And I look back at the gallery. I'm going to have to hit this wicked hook that I don't even have any business actually trying, (laughs) but you know, why not? So I look back at the gallery. I'm like, guys, there's a tree right there. Like I'm putting a high probability that I'm going to hit it off the tree and it's going to bounce backwards. (laughs) Heads up. Heads up. So I go and I take the shot and I've all, this is all video documented. And I hit this crazy hook around this tree that goes onto the green and the gallery gives me this loud ovation. It's just crazy. Then Unreal. I can't even imagine that. Well, and here's that. I mean, even the, even like, let's forget the tiger thing for a second. Like just having tiger's gallery uproar for you. Yeah. Well, and then. Holy crap. I, the best thing is I have a video with Tiger telling me, great shot. I'm over on the right side of the fairway. Once I was a little erratic with the driver, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Every story is me being in the, uh, in the rough behind trees. It just makes for a better story. Right. But I'm now on the right side. Tiger's I'm about 140 out. There's these low-hanging branches, and then there's a bunker protecting the front. Normally, 140 hit like a 9-iron. I can't hit 9-iron, so I'm like, I've, i got to take 6-iron. Cause I got to keep it under the tree, but then there's the bunker. I'm like, well, this is going to for sure just go shoot through the, you know, through the green somehow, some way tigers just behind me. I take this shot and I hit this low soft cut that goes under the tree balloons up in the air, bounces twice on the green stops and tiger goes great shot. Oh <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> So then we get to the green. I'm about 20 feet for birdie. Like, do you really mean that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we get to the green about 20 feet for birdie. Tiger's right behind me because he's 
he's practicing for uh, the the various pin locations. Right. So he would putt in, and then it was business for him. Sure. You know, we're we're kind of still lining up our putts, and he's he had his his caddies throwing out tees, and right. he's going to different spots. So he's kind Joe of walking LaCaba, behind by me. The way, everybody. Who's a really nice guy. Oh man. Really really nice guy. So anyway. I walk up, then I nail the freaking birdie putt, get another oh clap from gosh. the evo- from the from the crowd. Tiger another fist bump. I'm like, is this <laughs> real it was, life? It felt fake. It was in what it was Did you just have like a perma grin on or were you like, oh yeah? I like it's one of those things where when it was over, I was almost devastated. Because it's like like Presidents of nations don't get to do this type of thing. Kanye, I don't know if he gets to play with Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, who gets to play with Tiger? And all of a sudden, I was playing. Not only play, with but Tiger. play well. And play well. It, it was just, it was, I don't know, a blessing from heaven. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, well, did you get pictures and stuff with him? I'll I show assume. you guys a bunch after. Kay. Yeah, and he was. These guys don't like pro amps. They actually hate oh, them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's really annoying for them. And I didn't want to be intrusive, so I didn't, you know, I wasn't chasing Tiger down, trying to ask questions. But when we would find ourselves together on a fairway, which, you know, didn't happen much, <laughs> although I did outdrive him one time, legit. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was telling you, it was a dream day. Um, you know, we would talk, and he was super approachable, very kind. We talked a lot about his injuries. Um. I said, so what, like, when do you start your, your routine? He's like, yeah, four hours before my round. Yeah, I just heard that in the podcast the other day. Yeah, so before that started getting out, like, he, like he told me that. I'm like, so 7 o'clock tea time, you're up at 3. He's like, yes. Yeah. He goes through a stretch first, then he eats breakfast, then he lifts, like a full, you know, like Brooks Kepka, I'm, I'm lifting. Right. And then, you know, his normal on-the-course routine, you know, you, you throw in breakfast and all that, it's... Yeah, it's they said hours. that last day at the Masters because they had to bump the tee times. Because so of the early. weather. Because yeah. of the weather, but he said he was up right before 4 in, four in the morning. Yeah. Just to get warmed up for the round. And you know his Scotty Cameron putter right. that's been in his bag since 1999. He's right. won 12 of his majors with it. I'm walking down the fairway, and it's like, you know, right next to me. Oh this, my gosh. this is like, if you're a golfer, this is you like the it. golf artifact of all <laughs> golf yeah. artifacts. Yeah. I'm like, Tiger, can I hold your putter? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, absolutely. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. No. Real. So I walked down 17 or 18. I can't remember which hole it was late in the round twirling Tiger's putter. And I said, Hey, last year you put your, you, you stopped using this putter for like three tournaments. I'm like, what was up with that? He went off on the most scientific golf answer. Oh my God. Talking about sight lines and you know, rotations and all this stuff. And then he's like, yeah, basically I just need to put my Scotty in timeout for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. I'd rather have a picture with that than with tiger. Yeah. Like holding (laughs) that putter. Exactly. That'd be a tough choice. Would you rather like putt once with that putter and get a picture or get a picture with tiger? It's true. It was, uh, it was crazy. What a story. Well, let's just wrap this up because uh, <laughs> I don't really care about anything else after that. I'm just kidding. That is incredible. Yeah. Unbelievable. And the fact that you kept your nerves in check and yeah, played a good round of golf, yeah, that's that, amazing. I don't know how it happened. I, I think focus, though. I mean, I guess if you really zero in, you can do better. <laughs> that's great. And, you know, you, you can really see it on the tour. You can tell which golfers love playing with tiger just because of because i'll never forget so i've been two years in a row now and the first time i went to the master sorry the first time i went two years ago i only got to go to practice rounds which i actually kind of prefer i like you can take pictures take pictures there's less people Mm -hmm. but for some weird reason they paired up phil and tiger for nine holes and i kid you not 90 percent of the gallery Was was there following those two guys absolutely and it's just it would be so hard to play with him it, but i th- like a kepka i feel like he kind of thrives off of he it, loves right? that extra energy that pressure right. he wants to he likes the fact that people are counting him out sure so 
Well, he even said in an interview, he's like, I focus more in majors. He's like, I should probably focus more on normal tournaments too. Right. What a dude. <laughs> I actually really I, liked what I, he said in his last major though. Right. Where he's like, okay, yeah, the, there's 160 people on the field. I already know 80 of them. Like, I'm just going to, yeah, they're just going to like not do well. So now we're down to 80. <laughs> yeah. He's like, and then, and then of those 80, half of them aren't going to play well. So now we're down to 40. You know, and then I forgot what he says next, but he, he took it down to about 15. So he's like, really, I just look at it as me against 15 guys. Wow. Yeah, he just kind of, you know, spliced it up that way. And I'm like, wow, it, that actually made winning a major feel like manageable in a he like broke, He like broke it down <laughs> so you could do it. Way to look at it. He's like, yeah, I'm only competing with 15 guys, really. Wow. Because half of these guys are going to implode. I and I'm just like, better than the other half. And he is. Yeah. I started liking it more after he dissed his girlfriend on camera that was amazing when she tried <laughs> to get her instagram kiss you know just like oh the camera's here let's kiss like get nope. off of me exactly <laughs> i gotta golf today i don't have time for this uh, he probably regretted it later though yeah <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> maybe what a story we gotta we gotta get a video of that clip i i gotta see that clip i'll show a great shot yeah we'll put it up on youtube yeah we we need to put that or just that little clip yeah like, check we'll out it. our guest this week <laughs> yep Unreal. So, you know, you talked about, I just, I wrote something down based on what you said earlier, going back to the business side. What's your carrot right now? You know, it seems like you're always working towards something. Yeah. So we've, you know, in three years of Aptive, there's 20,000 pest control companies out there. Right. Um, we've grown to number eight after wow. three years. And there's a path to get to number three. So Terminex, uh, they do about 1.8 billion Orkins. 1.5 billion ish and then there's a pretty big gap after that so three or four years we can slide in at number three and then we'll still we'll, we'll you know go compete for one and two eventually so that's kind of the carrot right now and, and a few years ago that seemed outrageous but now there's a very clear right. path to make that happen and our executive team is rounding out and, and we're growing and so that's that's the current carrot. So is there something about your product? I mean, obviously the product's important to you. I mean, sure. as much emphasis as you put on the people and the sales, but is there something that you guys do differently than other people on the product side? Yeah, so we're trying to be as environmentally responsible as we possibly can. Companies have access to the same products, but sure. certainly they can choose to use more environmentally responsible products. There's something called IPM, which is integrated pest management, which is really educating your customers on things that they can do outside of products to take care of their home. Oh, we just released an app that allows customers to, which this is funny that in our industry, this is actually, you know, in advance, but you can, you know, reschedule your service. You can take care or you can take pictures of problem areas so that oh, wow. we know uh, we can communicate through the app. And the thing we're working on right now, because in any service industry, there's there's a trust issue. Did my guy show up? Did he actually do what he or she said they were yeah, going they to do? Yeah, they just spraying water. Exactly. Yeah. You know or what I mean? hanging paper, meaning sure. you show up and just put the invoice and drive off. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about the lawn care guys. <laughs> exactly. Like, why is my lawn not green? Like Stewart's was here, whatever Boom. it is. They, you know? they put the little thing in the yard. And that was yeah. it. This is bull crap. Right. So what we're developing right now is when our service pro shows up, uh, the customer will be able to see the exact route that they took. Like that they walked? That they walked. Wow. And precisely how That's long crazy. they were at the house so that the customer can say, oh, wow, he was here. And they take pictures of the trouble areas that they treated and solved. Um, so interestingly enough, we're a pest control company, but we have 30 people on our, de on our development team. Wow. We have 22 India developers another eight people here in the States. And so we're constantly developing technology, both from on a sales side, a customer side, an op side. And that's kind of the big differentiator wow. between us and even Orkin or Terminex. That's really interesting because that's, you know, my wife is terrified of all, all things. Well, and even in the restaurant industry, you know, like it's so, it for us, it's scary because it's like, what chemicals are you using? Exactly. Like we've got food here. Right. So, I mean, all of that stuff really, really matters. And so, yeah, that's, that's, 
I mean, obviously, you guys are putting as much thought into the product as you are into sales. Absolutely. And I think that that is so important. So. Do the big boys worry about it as much as you do? Does Terminex care about creating an app? I mean, are they, are they, is that even on their radar? Rest I think on their that's, laurels. I think that's, they just rely on their name? I think that's where we have a competitive advantage is we've tried to bring a, a white-collar approach to a very blue-collar right. industry. And yeah, and innovate. So Terminex, they're kind of known as, if you watch their ads, we're the killers. You are going to go to war against your pests. Yeah, and and right. Orkin, if you watch their abs, ads, it's a white, it's a white it's shirt, button down shirt with a, with a white. Hat. Yeah, and it's like, we're going to think your, your bugs away. Like, we're smarter. We're more sophisticated. Uh, where the gap in the market is, what, that we're trying to fill is we're more envi environmentally responsible, and it'll be more seamless working with us. We're going to use technology. You're not going to notice us, uh, but we're going to still take care of your problem. Right. Hmm, that's cool. So Working. we're going to buy your contract. Yeah. Now let's fast forward a couple of years. Let's say things go as well. You have an exit. What do you do? You, I, and, I, you and I have talked about this a couple of times. I'm curious, like what would you build another company We've talked about, you know, professional sports teams before, not owning them, but you enjoy athletics. Yeah. You know what I mean? It all, I'm so like in the moment of that thought, it, it almost seems like, well, when's that actually, you know, going to happen? Um, I love sports though. And so I would love to stay, uh, or not stay, start <laughs> in the sports industry. Yeah. What are your sports? Um, Golf, basketball, baseball, football. In, in fact, hockey, I don't like watch it on TV, but the best sporting events I've ever been to in person were hockey. That like is absolutely games. right. So, I mean, I'm a big hockey fan, but even TV, unless it's playoffs, playoff hockey is still fun on TV, but it is hard on TV, but that makes me happy to hear you say yeah. that. Anyway. So, I mean, I, I fantasize of, you know, somehow becoming a GM. <laughs> I, I mean, that sounds crazy, but I've always thought, well, what if I show up and I'm like, just give me any job. Like I'll work for free. You don't have to pay me anything. Just start me anywhere. Just get me in the building. Right. And you know, and let's see what happens. Maybe I sound silly. I've thought about, well, maybe being a sports agent would be cool. I'll, I'll study all the CBAs like, you know, for a couple of years and become an expert and I'm a great salesperson. So I can like, combine the two and if I don't have to worry about like actually making a ton of money, I just get to hang out with athletes and right. help them get deals done. Then maybe that would be fun. Um, okay. So you're the GM for the jazz. What do you do this off season? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Rubio's out. Yeah, so uh, as much as I, I think Rubio's a nice guy has got to go as much as I think Derek favors is a jazz man. I think he has a lot of, I think you maybe sign him and then try to trade him. I think he's got some decent, you know, value. He should be a starter and he'll yeah. never be a star. I feel like the jazz owe it to him to like, let him go play somewhere else. And then I'm, I'm literally begging Tobias Harris yes. to come. And then I'm Tobias come to Utah, you know, and then I'm calling, Please. you know, maybe, maybe Todd Peterson, Josh James, and Ryan, Ryan Smith, <laughs> uh, James Clark. Some of these guys, they, just give them a couple percent of your company. Right. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Like, let's just sweep them. Stop being selfish. Like, just give them two or three percent so we can. It'll make your arena more valuable. <laughs> your suites more valuable. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's just put a little cherry on top, push them through, and we can get this deal done. Right. You I know? love it. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> but we do need Division One hockey in college here. So yep. there is a school that wants it, and the NHL is willing to put money towards the study for it so i'm just saying all right i mean money go. is involved of course way too much for my blood but that'd be your end with the nhl there's no true d1 hockey program here which is crazy but i'm gonna have to be sold a little more yeah on that one fine <laughs> <laughs> whatever okay <laughs> vest to wrap up i want to know what you're reading or listening to right now where's my uh where's my phone let's look Are you a reader or a listener? An a, audible guy or a? I'm a I'm a both. Both. Gotcha. So the the book I'm uh, reading right now, 
is actually about President Nelson. There's a new book out uh-huh. about him. Uh, Sherry Dew wrote it, uh-huh. and it is incredible. It's like awesome to think, like the things that he like learned on the fly while performing heart surgery. Like heaven is distilling knowledge on him, and he's operating on. Spencer Kimball right. at age 71 doing a procedure that's never been done that he said he shouldn't do. And, uh, uh, Harold B. Lee says, no, do it. So he says, fine, I'll do it. And then president Kimball lives right. for many, many years after yeah. that. So I'm reading that one. I'm listening to, let me check my audible account right now. Now that my wife's sharing my audible account, I'm kind of embarrassed because I've got <laughs> all she has is Rachel Hollis well, on I've there. Got Michelle Obama's book now. <laughs> and so over her. Mrs. Piggly Wiggle. Oh and, uh, man. So can't can't hurt me by oh, David yeah. Goggins. I'm I'm listening to. Have you uh, read that one, Cam? I'm, a, I'm. That's one of the three that I like. Okay. Like I read books all at the same time. It just depends on my mood in the morning. Yeah. Uh, the hard thing about hard things. I'm listening. Uh, to that one first family detail was super interesting it's about uh secret service interactions with you know various oh wow presidents first family detail family detail a great book on negotiation never split the difference so good read that one uh recently pretty much any navy seal book i'm reading or have read uh so there's a few cool i just started listening to I didn't know Marcus Luttrell had a part a podcast. Oh, I just started listening to that. Yeah, it's Mark, pretty interesting. He uh, he came and spoke at Aptive once. Really? Yeah. Who catered it? Uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was oh, it sounds like I'm glad that we're friends now. <laughs> That's Actually, awesome. Actually, Bam Bam has catered at Aptive. A few really? Times. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll make sure to tell Annie to let me know when that yeah. happens. Yep. Yeah, we. You know, the first time I fed a celebrity was with uh, Altera. Really? I was only like two years in. We fed. You guys did like an Imagine Dragons. Oh, yes, you're right. So I did like the I VIP room yeah. over at Altera. Like yes. that's where I met Paul for the first uh-huh. time. And so, yeah, that was pretty cool. I was yeah. trying to remember that book I was talking about earlier. Who's the favorite oh, you person? You are a oh. badass. That's oh. what it is. Yeah. <laughs> By Jensen Chero. You just it's read really the title over and over, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's just like, what a great title. <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway, who's the coolest person you brought to Aptive? Oh, Alex Honnold, hands down. Was he good? incredible like i became so fascinated with his story yeah so i mean him talking to the company was awesome i found myself with him for about an hour just him and i and i just i really admire how black and white the world is to him he simplifies everything it's funny when he when his driver dropped him off we call him like alex where are you he's like uh i'm in the back of the building and he had this like old sweatshirt on with this tattered backpack with a hood on. I kind of felt like I was like walking up on someone that didn't have a place to live. Maybe it spent <laughs> some time outside <laughs> a lot. Um, just so unassuming. I said to him, like you've done what I consider the most incredible human feat in like ever. Maybe like, what does that feel like? We said. need to clarify. Alex Honnold is. Yes, clarify. I, see, I didn't remember until I just Googled oh. it, but I just watched that documentary. Yeah. He's the rock climber, right? Yes. That free yep. climbed El the Capitan. El Capitan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, he's and an interesting dude. Very interesting. And honestly, he's much more normal than what that documentary. That doc made him look like a nut job. Yeah. He's, he's much more approachable, very, very bright, uh, can talk about a wide range of topics and it's just when I really think about what he did, oh, I have it's no crazy. words. Like, oh, I just, just watching it. In fact, after being with him, I had regrets for about a week. So I'm like, why didn't I ask him that? Why don't I ask him oh, that? Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't we talk about that? Is there wind at 2,000 feet? Like, is your body like <laughs> yeah. swaying? Oh, and my gosh. Are you feeling fear? And like the whole thing about his brain, he's like, yeah, this. If someone puts a piece of paper in front of me with a picture. I'm not afraid of that when I've climbed Half Dome and El Capitan. So he, he doesn't necessarily like really agree with the analysis on his brain. Well, I love how he says there's a different, like his consequence and risk. Yeah. He's like, it's not risky. Like it's, it's not, it's not any risk you're doing. It's just the consequence is greater. Well, and his, like whole, the way he looks at it, his whole thing was 
since 2000, I forgot what year, nine, he's like, I just kept expanding my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so over time, eventually, I had climbed El Capitan because I'd done all of these other climbs. So it wasn't risky to me at that point. So Alex, by far, most interesting person I've spent time with. What would you say is like the one thing you took from meeting him? Like you walk away from with one thing. Well, one really funny thing is he's at this kickoff meeting. He's sitting next to my wife and at this kickoff meeting, you know, the hoopla there's, it's only the, the best people talking and they're all successful and right. there's incentives and there's Tesla's on the screen. And he leans over to my wife and he goes, Hey, uh, is this a Ponzi scheme? <laughs> <laughs> But that just shows his personality, right? Like he he doesn't hold that. Is this a Ponzi scheme? My favorite part of the documentary, though, his his girlfriend's (laughs) like talking about carving pumpkins and how it's going to be fun. And he's like, I don't like to be told when I'm going to have fun. Like I have fun when I'm having fun. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly right. That's really funny. Um, But to answer your question, it's that idea of just expanding your comfort zone, just pushing a little bit till, you know, eventually if you do it enough, you're comfortable with a, a much broader range of, you know, circumstances. Yeah, well, you can totally relate it to your company. I mean, it's the same. It's a carrot, right? Exactly. You just gotta. You just kind of keep expanding and keep keep growing. And so, yeah, that's 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 really cool. I wish I was over there for that one. That guy it was is, awesome. Yeah, I watched both those you can climbing watch the video. documentaries. The what was the other one where you, where you, the Don Wall? Don Wall. Yeah, <laughs> very awesome. Yeah, and those two kind of teamed up. Yep, they like did. mapping out his route. I was like, that's Michael Jordan and Kobe, my, I not was LeBron. Gonna, I was just going to say Kobe. <laughs> Thank you. What, just make it sure. Right. He's yeah, a we're on the boy. same page. got to be a Kobe. <laughs> it's not, it has any, nothing to do with that. Kobe's just better. Exactly. I'll Dude, give it to you. Uh, he's better. I'll give it Sorry. to you. Thank he's not, you. Better than the, not better than Mike, though. No, no. I agree with you. I mean, Shaquille's the greatest player to ever play. <laughs> but, you know. Maybe the most dominant. Most dominant. Anyways. Best right. dude, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. This, this blew me away. I, I very, very pleasantly well, surprised. Tiger this. did at least. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, you, listen, so many people ask me why I get to go do cool things. And it just, I feel like if you're a good person, you work hard, you try your best. It's amazing what, what things can just come. And, and I'm sure it's a testament to, I mean, how many people would buy that kind of gift for somebody else? I mean, so that I think that that speaks volumes about the person that you are. So thank you. Very, very, very cool story. So yeah, yeah thanks for coming. Appreciate you, Vince. Tons of fun.